G'day, it's Phil here. It's Tuesday night, it's March, it's dark outside where I am. For Graham Brown Martin, for some strange reason, in the UK, it's light. We're recording the third of our conversations around the notion of voice agency and advocacy and the future of work and the future of the world. Somewhere along the line, we need to be thinking about what then, not just what happened when, but what mm. then. And I'm really, really hoping we're going to do that. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, could you tell us a little bit about our Series 10 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. Over the past decade, the team from A School for Tomorrow has been working with hundreds of thousands of members of school communities across the world to think about the character of an excellent education. They've concentrated their learning about what makes a school thrive into a unique suite of digital survey tools called Thriving for students, teachers, and schools. To learn how you can help your school measure how well it's achieving its purpose, go to aschoolfortomorrow.com forward slash thriving. Let's go. All right, Graham. <laughs> let's do the little bit of fiction that says, "How are you today, Graham? You're doing well." Yeah, I'm good actually. I was, I was good. I was, I was like looking forward to this one. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, it's, it's been it's been good so far. And I do wonder though. Have you, have you not got any other shirts? No, no, no. I've only got a blue sunspell long sleeve polo top. It's the only. I mean, is, is that part? Of, is, it, is that part of the style guide for change, mate? The, change, you know, the game changes. Is it? That um, kind of... Look, you know. <laughs> um, I just, when it comes to style, I just do what Adriano. No, it's very stylish, mate. Very stylish. Like there we go. Like, like, there we go. I was going to say, it's, 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 do you only wear black t-shirts? But I'm talking to a punk, so I should be grateful that it's not ripped and and, and stitched together with safety pins. Really, I want to talk about uh, like all of what we've been talking about in this series so far, Graham has been leading us towards thinking about where we're headed and potentially about what the role of an education system or education, if we can't do a system at the very least, we might be able to do education in leading towards that. We've explored the notion of the development of voice and we've sort of wrapped a little bit of your story into that and we've developed a notion of the sense of agency and where we finished up last time as we talked about the the belonging piece and I talked Mm. about the potential piece and the doing of the good and right thing um, piece. I want to talk advocacy Because what we see more than anything else in schools all around the world is that when it works, schools teach selflessness, not selfishness. They teach the notion of interdependency. They teach the idea that I am because you are or because we. It's the journey from me to you to us. And great schools around the world, regardless of resource, regardless of background, regardless of where they are, get that notion that our humanity is enhanced because we look after each other. So if there is voice, the next thing that flows is agency. If there is agency, then there will be advocacy because proper agency means I stick up for you. Talk to me. About the role. Yeah, of yeah. I mean, I mean life, excuse me. Like, you reminded me, like there was, like, we, 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 we got to the end of the show. We, we just ran out of time uh, for sort of a point, which then hooks us back, you know, hooks us nicely into where, where you know, the advocacy piece and the caring for each other piece. You know, this is the thing about you know the, the, the agency and what I was realizing. You know, we, I, I was talking about the, the the digital world and how. I mean, at the moment, we look at skeuomorphic design. It's visible. We we see what's going on. I mean, we okay. That's an online bank. That's a that's an email type or something else. But as each category of computing arrives, we move towards, you know, sort of non-skeuomorphism, 
which is just to explain, it's like that's when you're not mimicking, when you're doing something completely new that's that's because of the technology. Give a quick example. I mean, skeuomorphic design might be, do you remember the original Apple books where you'd see like digital books on a shelf Indeed. and you open them and turn the page? That's skeuomorphism. You know, when Yahoo, um, you know, like many other companies decided that we needed to index the web because web 1.0, of course, was when we all could build websites. How the f- do we find them? Yahoo came along and used the, the library catalog system right, to catalog it. So that's like a good idea, right? That's how we look around large information bases in libraries. Google, on the other hand, came up with their innovation, which was just allowing you to traverse all of the information with a search bar. That's non-skeuomorphism. That's already accepting that everything's there. Then, then if, given that it's not the same as the, 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 the physical world, how would we do it differently? And so the rest is history. I mean, Yahoo vanished. So what ends up happening is, is you, you move from skeuomorphism, mimicking the physical world, to non-skeuomorphism when it's no longer relevant. That's why I had to explain to my 16-year-old the other day when I sent some postage stamps and some address labels how the postal system worked because she'd never used it. 16. I mean, she's like stupid. Because why would you? Because why would you? Unless you've got a credit card and you're buying things online and, and then parcels turn up to your yeah, place. Yeah, parcels. She gets parcels, but letters? You know, exactly. just use email. Kids like use emails. It's, it's, you know, we've gone way past email. I mean, that's a skeuomorphic. Now, why have I said that? Because the, when, when, when it goes to non-skeuomorphism, which is very important for progress, the stuff behind it becomes invisible. It's still happening. There's an algorithm in the background doing things, right? But it's invisible. We, for, we don't know about it. And actually, we only know about it because we're old, Phil. Actually, if you come into that, you don't see it. It's invisible. Now, Can I just point out that you're older <laughs> than me because you can remember the moon landings, whereas I was in hospital in my mother's arms, having just been born a few months before when she was watching the moon landing. So you're very old. I just think it's lovely that you believe in the notion of time in that way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But just to finish that point, though, because I know it was a bit long getting roving at my punchline. My point is, is that that lack of agency, it's the same sort of blindness you know, the, the blindness that, that we have when we don't know what's going on behind the, you know, in the digital algorithm space is the same blindness when I'm standing in front of a bunch of people who went to the same look to the right school, the right background, everything else, and I'm telling them something they don't understand yet. That's the point. That's the link that we have uh, in, in this term of agency. And when we talk about getting young people having agency in the world, if we start talking about coding and, and, and this stuff, it all becomes a bit kind of, you know, oh, we don't quite understand the value of it. It's not about them becoming, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. It's about them being part of the conversation and understanding what's going on in the background because the decisions that we make in the digital world, whether it's for work or education or anything, affect everything. So we are on the verge of, of, a, of a new computing category called Web3 right now. Web3 will have, it's likely to have blockchain at, 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 at the very, like a transport layer, you just be there. Blockchain is, is about proof. People think of it in terms of crypto and NFTs and stuff, but it's about proof, right? Proving the provenance, proving the truth, proving everything else, right? Web3, on top of that, you see technologies like crypto, cryptocurrencies because of proof. But what happens in that space could have profound impacts on the real world. The decisions made in that space have profound impact in the real world. The same way that Amazon had effects in Web2 on the high street. So if we're looking at what gets removed, like taken away, like none doesn't need to exist anymore. The banking system does not need to exist, okay? This is the like, well, what do you mean the banking system doesn't need to, it doesn't need to exist. Why is it there? What's its purpose? 
You moving money around on, on, on computers proven, you know, the amount of fraud that you can get will be substantially reduced. And, you know, of course, there's all these horror stories about crypto and NFTs and all that kind of stuff, but we're still playing with that new, new, new technology. That is coming. Now, do you want a society where you don't have any agency, any voice, any understanding of what's happening in that space? Because if you don't, if the only people making those decisions are a monoculture of society, we're, I think we're in a lot of trouble. And I think this agency thing is important. So the advocacy then is understanding that bigger picture, understanding why it's important, understanding how things may change and then we're getting into the sort of future society, future work. And we are, I believe, and I, this is not something that's just popped into my head. It's interesting reviewing the talks I was giving 20, 30 years ago is about this very moment in time, which is, you know, would have been described by, by Antonio Gramsci as the interregnum. You know, this is, a, this is a, 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 it's such an exciting time to be alive, Phil, because we are going to see the changes. We have no idea what's going to be on the side. It's Gramsci said about the interregnum, and I'm going to paraphrase, we're precisely because the old has not yet died, the new cannot yet be born. Morbid symptoms will appear. You see, he wrote this from prison, I think, 1928, 29. Uh, before the Second World War, and he was you know, commenting on the, the rise of, of fascism across Europe and America, um, and, and, and so forth. Of course, you know what he was talking about was this status quo. The old was a status quo. You know, if you benefit from the status quo, you get no motivation to change it. The only way the status quo ever changes is through war, catastrophe, revolution. But what tends to happen is at the end of each cycle, it gets increasingly crazy. And we're sort of seeing that bread and circuses type thing happening now in the political landscape and so forth. But we are changing, whether we like it or not. We can blame the pandemic. We can blame an economic model that, was, that had flaws in its design. Um, we, we can talk about the, the massive climatic um, changes that we're going to witness and the movement of people. Um, I mean, there's so many indicators. We can talk about the fourth industrial revolution and how that will um, re- uh, cast what we think of as an economy and work and everything else. So this is a huge change. You know, we're still clinging on. I mean, we are, we're clinging on to the lens of the last century, trying to understand what's going to happen in the 21st Why century. Why do you think it's we do that? State. Why do you huh? think we do that? Look, it's comfortable, isn't it? What's human? No, I don't think it's human. I mean, I think it's it just is, well, it may, may, partly human, partly human, yes, self-interest. It's like me standing up in front of the record industry in yeah, 1994 yeah, yeah. and saying, this has just changed. It has changed. And the thing was, okay, the time that that was going to change, it took, it, it, so hang on, let's work it out. 16 years after I gave that talk, Apple became the largest distributor of recording music in the world. So I was probably early in saying that here we are, but that's where it was going to go. It's obvious that's where it's going. To me, it was obvious. I want to talk some Leonard Cohen at you. I want to talk about brokenness <laughs> and I want to talk about, you know, the cracks of where the, how we let the light in. So the, the, the nature of humanity is that it's, it's not the left and it's not the right, it's both and the centre at the same time. Are oh, you talking about left and right paradigm, political paradigm? Uh, maybe, but I'm, 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 okay. I'm, I'm just talking metaphorically. I'm, I wanna, wanna, no, I no, guess, no, that's good. I, yeah. guess, I guess what I'm saying is that in any idea, in, in, in any way that we present humanity, the complexity of humanity is that we are all things and no things completely at the same time. That in any one individual, there are contradictions and there are passions and there are directions. There's both revolution and the status quo. There's iteration and there's stagnation. And they all coexist. 
within the one person. John Hattie, the great New Zealand educator, says that it's not the difference between schools that matters, it's the difference within a school. And I would argue that that's just a fractalization of human beings, that everything that we're talking about exists within each person to one extent or another. And there are moments in our life where we want revolution and there are many moments where we don't want revolution. And how we aggregate all of that and how we move that forward, you know, is, is part of the challenge that we've got. But that if we don't, if we're not thinking about the other person, then it won't happen. You mentioned the Margaret Thatcher and the re- Margaret Thatcher and the restructuring of the British, British economy. And we could have been talking about the American economy, the Australian economy. We could have been uh, talking I, about I didn't any, mention Morrison once. Yeah, like, you know, we could have been talking about any any part of the world that's had to do economic restructuring where it has worked in terms of the long-term narrative is where somebody was thinking about the people at the same time. You'd probably argue in my part of the world, then, we did this sort of stuff in the 1980s and 1990s. It wasn't easy, but at least people were trying to think about that sort of thing. And sometimes we do that and sometimes we don't do that in my part of the world and in all parts of the world are the same. So I guess what I'm saying is that there is a complexity to humanity which says it's not this solution or it's not that solution. It's actually all of them at the, it's all of them at the same time. Yeah, I'm done with that. I mean, I think it's just this, um, you know, and it's this complexity of the human is what I've been saying, I guess, in different ways over the last couple of shows, um, which was, you know, complexity is human. You know, the, the desire to standardise humans, I, I, I use the, the, the kind of hiring algorithms as a way of doing that. Yeah, now we're doing It's trying to deal with that complexity. And, you know, it's a sort of, it's balancing the needs of the human versus the needs of an economic system that was designed to achieve certain outputs. Now, you know, you, if, you you accept, if you accept an economic analysis, if you don't accept well, an economic analysis, I mean, then, but, but, but the same, and, and bear with me for a moment, if you don't accept an economic analysis around it, but if, for example, you looked at it in terms of an organisation or a sociological analysis of it, you end up with the same answer but a different, I mean, thing, a different thing driving and, it. And, and let me swerve economic yeah. determinism, okay, yeah. um, because that's what you're saying is economic determinism, because we could have gone down the technological determinism and, yeah, we could, but e- and, and it could have been equally, any, equally wrong. Yes. Um, the, the point is, is I'm not really talking about economic determinism. I mean, economics is like, like technology, just another endeavour of human activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, I, and, and there's, you know, there's nothing in this is, that is kind of, you know, you mentioned left and right paradigms, everything else. I think all of that is just, just an illusion anyway, um, you know, particularly in the political sphere, because it doesn't matter who you vote for. It's their job. It's the only job of a politician in the, you know, in the minority world sort of system, if you like is to maintain the status quo. Nothing else. It's not to change anything radically. It's to keep things as they are, which is why really nothing dramatically changes, actually. You know, there's all that kind of throw arms in the air. Oh, yes, yeah, so Obama's got in. We're going to have, we're going to change. We're going to change. Well, nothing really changed. There's bits and pieces that change, but you know, the things still remain as they are. And then, you know, case, you know, sort of Trump character came along and it would have been someone else if it wasn't him, you know. Um, and it, it, he was just doing what, what, what his, you know, the people before him did just in a coarser way, which is more appealing to a certain group of the audience who were fed up with it in the first place. So when I'm talking about economic design, everything else, 
I'm not talking about it in some kind of anti-capitalist or anti-money or any, any of that stuff. I'm just, just being matter of fact. It's, it's like, look, it's, it's a scheme. It's a program. It's a design that we do of organizing ourselves. Economics is the study of how we manage scarcity, how society manages scarcity. Why? Because we landed in an economic model at the end of the Second World War, which was based on scarcity, scarce resources, the gold standard, money, all that kind of thing, uh, fossil fuels, you know, the lithium for your batteries, the, 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 the rare metals that go in your phone, and all that kind of stuff. We had an economy based on scarcity, and to win, to benefit as a nation, or as an individual, it was the accumulation of those resources was the game. And that permeates all of society. It permeates knowledge. It permeates education. It permeates how many people can have an A, how many people can get a first. It limits everything. And it pitches us against each other. So, and that has worked for a while because it got us here. It created lots of other issues around that in terms of social unrest, oppression of huge populations, or you know, by gender or by sexuality or by where they were born. And so none, I don't believe any of this was necessarily, you know, malicious. It just happened. We didn't think it through. We never, I guess, what were we thinking? You know, we could have a, a growth economy based on uh, extracting uh, resources, processing them, turning them into a product, using the product for five minutes and throwing it away. How could we know? How would we have known that that would come back and bite us in the in the backside? How would we know that we're leaving our children a, a crap sandwich um, because of all these things? So it's not. I'm not saying it's malicious. I mean, maybe we're holding on to it, but but holding on to it and not letting go is also problematic because the whole system is structured around that. You know, we can believe. You know, we can believe. You know, you know, oil companies, fuel companies can believe that it's it, it, it's damaging. But to stop because of the way the stock market is and everything else, it's very very hard. You know, so so it, it's not. So, so, so that's my, that's my, that's what I want to get at. That's what I want to get at. And I, and 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 you know, I challenged you a wee while ago around saying it's human. Well, what's human? What are you saying is human? Human being complex. Yes. Human being complex, and secondly, we cling on to the past. Now, oh I'm gosh, not, yeah. So so. So what, what is there that encourages you to think that what comes next is anything profoundly different to what we've got right now? Why? Yeah. Why am I optimistic? Yeah. Because, because if, I mean, obviously... You know, I'm playing devil's advocate here, man. It's, no, it's, mate. I know, mean, no, no, no. Of course not. It, I mean, obviously, otherwise it's, there'd, well, there'd be no conversation with it. Um, you know, I mean, we know that if we carry on down this road, it doesn't end well. We know that. There's no doubt we can't get off. So, so what gives me optimism then? I think what gives me optimism is generational optimism. I mean, you and I, I, I you know, I know that you're a, you're, you're, you're a young one, um, Phil, but I think, we're both Gen <laughs> I, think, I, think I think we're just at opposite ends of Gen X, right? Yeah, Gen X, yeah, we, had, yeah. we, had, we had all these, we had a lot of these ideas that Gen Z had, there just wasn't enough of us. You know, when we, when, you, know, our pop, you know, the population of Gen X is around about 8% of the world's population. Population of Gen Z, Gen Z, depending on who's listening, um, is 34% of the world's population. Um, if you add alpha, the kids that are coming up behind, so Gen Z, just for those who don't know, 10 to 25 year olds. So a lot of them at school right now in university. The ones coming up behind generation alpha. Now, Gen Z, 34% of the world's population, add alpha, we're into the 60% of the world population. Now, you know, like us when we were teenagers and like every other teenagers, they're regular teenagers. You know, they might, this group might be alcohol avoiders, but they're still, you know, they're still uh, rebellious. They still do their thing. Um, I mean, I've got two of them, so I've got a good idea about this with, with Gen Z. 
Um, but they also, you know, each generation, you know, each generation, I mean, my, you know, my mission was, you know, I remember when I was 15, I went on a march in London um, to Victoria Park to see the Clash play. It was a rock against racism march. We thought we were changing things. It's the, it was BLM in, in 1977 or eight or, or, or whatever it was. Um, the, if we take, you know, a collective, if you like, of Gen Z, Gen Alpha, they, 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 they have a plan to save the earth. I mean, you know, it's, they're inheriting this, machine that we've created and they want to change it now you know we can see i mean there's this vanessa down in uganda for example there's um greta in 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 sweden i mean this young population coming through and, and making some very good points about environment but also other things they're the questioning gender you know pronouns and all this i think it's just great i mean you know everything's up for grabs just change 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 so my optimism actually comes from them um because it's the largest consumer group of all time it's the largest voting group of all time um, you know, it, the future means more to them than perhaps it does to us now, um, because they've got to live it. Um, they're connected in ways that we weren't connected. Um, and okay, we could we could laugh at you know some of the social media, but there's probably more and better educational material, learning material on TikTok than there is in schools at the moment. Um, it's certainly around issues that actually make make a difference um, to this century rather than the last. So my optimism comes from that. My optimism comes from the fact that there's this large population of people who, if we just use, even if we use existing metrics of capitalism, which I think we need to just adjust, it, the things that they will buy will have huge impact. So I think we're at a point where we could offer, for example, white goods. Here's a washing machine. It, 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 it basically the kind of, you know, it uses up lots of resources, uses up water, else. and here's another one that uses the pint of water and is completely regenerative. Uh, which one are you going to buy? Same price, buy it. And of course, I think that generation is going to buy that one, and that skews things a little bit. But more than that, I think because they're able to question lots of things, and there's some other factors that we can talk about as well, such as digital nomad visas and the, the implications of digital nomad visas as well. But the point is, is that they um, will be in positions of making decisions around how we design every product and service and so on. And we, that may shift us. I don't think it's going to be fast enough, but I think that tips us towards from this linear extractive economy to a more sort of circular regenerative economy because if we don't do that you know we're in i think we're in lots of lots of trouble in terms of of long-term damage that's that you know we know it's irreversible but those things give me optimism now the thing about that i mean th those statistics are solid i mean you know it, it's already having an impact felt at the moment as companies are trying to 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 meet that i mean like unilever for example in terms of heading that off so big companies are having a small impact i mean Mark Carney, who was the uh, former governor of the Bank of England, I mean, he said in, in 2019 um, that companies don't adapt, will go bankrupt, no question. So this isn't something I've just pulled out of my head. I mean, it's just it's something that's that, that's happening. Companies will go bust uh, if they don't respond. But, but that but, but com companies that go bank companies that don't adapt always go bankrupt and always have gone bankrupt. There's a client of ours, um, uh, a wonderful guy called Mike Fallon, who runs a school called Crash oh, yeah. School in, in 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 Canada. Um, and he would say that one of the essential qualities of a 21st century education is one in which every student finds their cause around that. So it's not just about the knowing of stuff and the yeah. categorization of stuff and the sorting out of stuff, but it's about a trajectory that says that we're going to interact with the world and we're going to interact with people and place and planet. We're going to find the thing that matters to us. So it even goes beyond the notion of purpose and it says purpose for whom and for what.
Well, and of course, I mean, it's, it's an interesting look at that, isn't it? I mean, we only get to look at the pandemic um, and, the, and the use of masks, for example, which became um, a political statement in, the, you know, in, in large parts of the Western world. Um, and then in China, everyone was wearing masks and the kind of, you know, the sort of, depending on which part of the media you read, it's like, oh, well, China doing that because it's an authoritarian regime. Well, I'm not sure that we don't live in an authoritarian regime, to be fair. Um, and um, this isn't sort of pro any particular kind of, uh, of nation. But the issue is, is that, that in culturally, many of the large parts of the population within China, for example, are, are, are nurtured in a form of collective. It's, it's about, about looking after each other as a collective, advocacy for each other. Um, and I'm going to wear the mask to be polite. I mean, it's predated the pandemic, obviously. Um, whereas in order to, you know, you just strike our independence, our individuality away from the collective, don't tell me what to do. It's my right not to wear a mask. And now I don't want to get into mask politics. I'm just using that as a sort of example of ways of, of, of looking at the world in terms of how do we, how do we solve big problems, big challenges together? Um, and it's, it's, that's something which I think is, is how, how do we, how do we grow our societies? Do we, do we have this, you know, I'm all right, Jack, every, every person for themselves type mentality, which is great for the gold rush, but is that great for going, going forward? How do we maintain kind of innovation at the same time as, as collective nurturing, which I think is, 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 is coming. But I, I want to come back just a little bit because I just wanted to just make sure that I'd finished that point was that we have a large population of young people who want to make differences we need to make differences in terms of the products and services that we make, regardless of what the economic model is. We need an education system, I suspect, that meets, because the future of work are people who can redesign and reimagine everything. Now, I mean everything. You know, the computer on your desk, the, 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 the coffee in your cup. I mean, it's like, how does, let's look at all those processes and everything else. Now, fortunately, this is arriving at the same time as some of the most powerful technologies we've ever had in terms of, what we call fourth industrial revolution technologies. You know, what we need to be using those is to actually solve these challenges, not to automate 20th century uh, or purely 20, 20th century processes and, and, and so on, which is what we're kind of doing. You know, we're looking at AI and thinking, oh, well, we can just use that in this old industrial setting to create you know, cost savings and everything else. But we can do much more powerful things than that in terms of how do we design a product which doesn't screw up the planet? How do we design a product so that we can reuse the resources in it so we don't keep digging them up? and have wars over them and, and all that, that kind of thing. So this is sort of driving to how both the future work and how we change our education systems in terms of you know, what do we need to learn? So you, the question was like, how do we prepare people for that? Well, we have to acknowledge that we don't know um, what the future looks like. We can only anticipate it. We know, we know there are some things happening in terms of you know, progress in technology. We know some, some things happening in terms of environmental change. We know something happening on the global political, geopolitical uh, um, circus, uh, for want of a better word. How do we prepare for that? And actually, we've known how to do that um, you know, for centuries. Um, and many of us do it anyway as normal, which is engendering how to learn how to communicate, how to connect. A lot of this is sort of social emotional learning in a way. How do I listen? Yeah, we'd call, I... we'd call, we'd call, we'd, at a school tomorrow, we'd call this character learning. This is, this is what this is. It's all about the character of a human being. There's nothing character, radical. But, 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 uh, nothing, nothing radical. I mean, this is literally Socratic yeah. learning. It's, just, it's, it's about back to being human again. I mean, this is my point, is that this progress is actually, what's going to save us is being human. 
we've got these two polar things that are happening in society and the future of work and education. One is this kind of you know, death star of standardization where we look, I, you, know, you have to fit in one of those boxes, Phil. What are you? Are you a, are you a, are you a radio presenter or are you a teacher? You can't be both kind of thing in the kind of higher <laughs> type stuff, right? Some, some would argue, some would argue and with, with great merit that I am neither. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you understand what my point is. So there's that sort of death star of standardization versus this other kind of actually, no, I mean, what we bring, what we individually bring are the solutions to some of these, these challenges. You know, it's like innovation can only happen when there's diversity in the room. It doesn't happen in monocultures. You know, I mean, we can Kodak, Blackberry, Swissair, Enron. I mean, the list is endless of monocultures where it just collapsed. Why? Because, you know, they, when a challenge came, they didn't have enough different thinking in the room to make a decision. You know, it's like Kodak just saying, no, we're not doing digital. I mean, oh. So, 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 so I want to pose to you the last human complexity, which is about the wrestling between the inner drive and the external expectation, which we would, we would say is the crucible of character. That's, that's where character is, is formed, is, yeah. is that journey that each of us takes around what we want to do to become the best version of ourselves, our version of ourselves, the thing that we feel we need to be. And then so, managing, and then managing the world around us. And yeah. what we what we'd argue is, you don't even, you don't even get that right because since you've, you've you've dealt with one, you've got to deal with the other, and you bounce backwards and forwards and this and that and the other. But it's in the wrestling that we live the life, and that we and that we form the character that's required. Um, yeah, I, so I think there's a, there's a few things. I mean, just to bring those themes together because it's just something really early early on, which I think actually nailed it, which is about the caring for each other. Um, you know, what, what does, what, how, what is, what is the, you know, it's never the end game, but what does it look like, you know, in the next hundred years or so? Um, you know, I think there is going to, we're going to go, we're going to go through a very turbulent time, very, very, very turbulent, um, I'm afraid. Um, and I'm not going to kind of add anything else to that, but just imagine what that looks like. Um, because actually, you know, when you're going from one major system, because this thing about eco economic and economic model, I'm looking at it as an organizational system for humanity, which is what we're imposing. We're imposing that on all of the world, including the African continent, for example, which has not benefited from that model. I mean, there'll be economists who go, oh, yes, it has, yes, it has, but it patently hasn't. I mean, if we look at what happened in the Spanish flu and the Great Depression, um, you know, only one African country even noticed, uh, and that was South Africa. Because it was, you know, that time it was desperately trying to, as as many African nations at the moment are trying to, you know, join that economic system because that's how you flourish and, and grow, isn't it? But what if you don't? What if that isn't the way that you do it? What if it, it hasn't served you and you can redesign economies and, and and everything else? So I think we are going to see this change. We're going to see people like Jeff Bezos is not going to put his money back when we say, "Mate, well done, you you won that game," um, but we're playing something else now. Put all your money back, like like Monopoly uh, on a Christmas evening. Um, there'll be tantrums, you know, you won't want to do it, you know, those kinds. Of, so it's going to, get, going to get tough to get to the other side, but it's how we get to the other side is, is the key. And I think this is where educators are very important in terms of what are we educating for? Are we educating for uh, uh, an economic model or an uh, output, human capital output to that system? Or are we outputting human capital who can help reimagine society and, 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 and so forth? So... Here's a couple of things that, 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 that I've been thinking about recently, which is um, clearly the nature of work 
will change. Whether education catches up or not, I don't actually care because I think there are um, you know, amazing teachers and learners and actually learners are teachers and teachers are learners that are out there going to do their own thing anyway. You know, if you want to stay in that system where you're effectively a content delivery drone um, for a uh, content vertical like Pearson, then go ahead. I'm not, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying it, make, make what you, when you joined the profession to teach, you'll find out that you're not allowed to um, in, in what you might have thought was, was what you were hoping to do. You know, the lighting of candles and, 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 you know, getting people to be their best self and all that kind of chance. That's not what it's for, unfortunately, at the moment. I mean, there are plenty of really amazing schools we all know, but I'm talking about the sort of, the sort of scaled side of it. So we could be looking at a situation where we shift to a regenerative, let's say we make the shift to a regenerative economy. Now, I think that isn't going to happen from the minority world. I mean, for the simple reason that when we talk about those Gen Z and Gen Alpha statistics, they're not evenly distributed. You know, in the minority world up here in the UK, uh, Europe, America, and so on, we've got more old people than young people. And you can see that being reflected in the, nation, in the sentiment of the nation, in the kind of political uh, realm, the way that we do immigration, all that kind of stuff. It comes along the lines of very simply, I don't want those people that don't look like me coming over here, creating employment, paying taxes to look after me in my old age. Turkey's voting for Christmas is what we've got here. We've got loads of old people uh, in this country and across the minority world entirely making decisions about a future which we're not going to participate in. We're making decisions for a younger generation. We've already le left them a, a horrible legacy. Um, but we're continuing to make it difficult. We're going to shut borders. We're not going to open borders. You know, we don't want those all around here, do we? Brexit, yes. America first. All that kind of nonsense. Um, you know, whilst we know there's going to be one billion uh, climate change migrants midway through this century, one billion, I mean, it's like, you know, over the population of Europe and America. I mean, it's moving and no plans, right? So there's a whole bunch. But the young people, the ones that, that would affect that predicted drift of like, you know, half a billion people to a billion people over the end of the century, that's where the young people are. You go to the African continent, it's twice as many people, Gen Z, um, Gen Alpha, to the old people, the old people who are running those countries. The old people who run those countries with help from people that look like us, right? That is unsustainable. I was in Uganda uh, a year ago, November, when um, Museveni was standing again for 30 years. Now, he's done some great stuff in his past, but is he the right one to be carrying on? I don't know. None of my business. I got caught up in a rally by a, a, a young guy called Bobby White, who's like the Bob Marley of Uganda. Now, he's got a, got a huge following in the last election, obviously, because he's very popular on the radio and everything else. I went to a rally, there's children, there's mothers and holding babies and everything else all going out there. The police are militarized and firing tear gas, very much like what was, Trump was doing outside the White House um, with BLM and, and, and everything else, because he was scared. This idea that this new generation is going to come and, and depose the old, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Now, I think this is all happening at a particularly interesting time. It's happening at a time when you've got to take the African continent, for example, doesn't benefit the individual the economic model. It's going to face the worst consequences of climate change. So, you know, no one's coming, so we better fix this. We better do something differently. So I think this, you know, plus all these other technologies and so forth. Is it possible, for example, that um, the African continent, could there be an African renaissance where they, the young people there, galvanize themselves you know, to, to, for survival as much as anything else, detach themselves from the global economy and build a regenerative economy based around regenerative resources. Now, we could have done this 
in Victorian times. In 1850, we had a solar-powered steam engine designed by Augustin Mouchou in Paris. By 1912, an American engineer and a British um, physicist, Charles Vernon Boys, patented, built, and operated a solar thermal power station in Egypt on the banks of the River Nile in 1912, right? This is producing an inexhaustible supply of free, clean energy and a byproduct regenerative aspect of the byproduct is free, clean drinking water. Now, imagine if we'd have done that globally, we'd have turned our ingenuity to that. Because remember, 1912, gas and oil was hardly a thing, right? We'd have gone down that road. Imagine, just like hold it, you know, like maybe your listeners can hold it in their minds for a few seconds. What the world would look like if we'd have rolled out to every nation on the planet free, clean energy and drinking water everyone on the whole planet having that from like 1900s onwards to now what would the world look like what do you think yeah look i i think it's an interesting concept but the reason why we didn't do that at that point in time is because we didn't want to here we are how we got here maybe doesn't matter but we are in the middle of a shift where is that shift going to happen what is going to happen you know the, the, the you know we mentioned future work future society and and, and, and education we're not looking at the, you know, the overall, you know, the purpose of designing a system to organize ourselves. Who is it for? Who does it serve? This as brings as you the, to uh, yeah, advocacy. As the, as the, as the, as the, as the post-structuralist historian, Hayden White would say, Kui Bono, yeah. for whose benefit? But you mentioned advocacy, right? You mentioned advocacy. Yeah, yeah. And this is where we are. This is where advocacy is. Of course. This is where advocacy is. This of is of like, course. okay. No, 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 no. We, we, we can design this differently we can i mean this is why it's exciting phil you know your show the people that are listening to your show you know often educators and so on why are we doing this what do we what what does this generation need to reimagine everything what does it need i mean you, we have passports so we can have poor people is it a good idea to have them anymore do we need that i mean 1884 i mean those guys knock yourself out but but what now what is it? You know, when we look at digital nomad visas, for example, and now, I mean, I'm looking at this because most of my career now is digital because pandemic. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm in Bristol, but I, I could be in Costa Rica, get a digital nomad visa, just be there, ta- you know, tax-free. I, I, I work there. I spend my money there. I can go to Lisbon. I can go to Bali. I can go to probably go to Australia on these digital nomad visas now. That is going to skew the population where we work. You've got a young population coming out that have done their university degrees online. Um, do I want to work in an office in London or Bristol? No, I'm going to go and work in Bali, do the same job, get the same money and everything else. And you know, there's always been that. But now because the, the, the pandemic as a catalyst drives more of that. Now we've got, um, it's maybe happening in Australia as well. What's happening in the UK right now is our government is telling everyone to get back to work, go back to the office. This has nothing to do with productivity generally. This is to do with the fact is if the workforce walks, and we've got a situation where we've got more old people than young people that need looking after. And when those old people hit 85, half of them get Alzheimer's. What are we going to do? That, that's what the minority world looks like. Meanwhile, we've got all the other stuff that's going on around the world. This is the time. This is the moment. This is the moment where change can happen. This is the moment when we can think about advocacy and we think about what, is, what are we doing? Why are we here? What's this for? Is this just to get Elon Musk on the moon? No. It's absolutely possible to design something different. And I think that's where we're going. And I think that is the indicator for how the future of work begins to look. Because as we move forward, as we begin to, everything that can be automated should be automated as long as it's done well. 
And once everything is automated, and we think about what is work, work, I believe, becomes where we're all teaching each other something, where we're all nurturing each other, that the economy is about, maybe we can go to this kind of platonic um, sort of sense of what learning is about. You know, Plato is all about, oh, I don't do any of that messy stuff. I've got people to do those messy things, trade skills. We're going to just talk about ideas. Hence, we've got the term platonic. As in, you know, we know what platonic means in a, in a relationship, right? It means you're friends, but you're not. And we have platonic learning, which is what we're still doing, where we actually need to kind of, okay, we, it's construction time again, redesigning. But when we get past that, I just wanted to bring it to the point that you mentioned so eloquently earlier in the show, which was this advocacy, this looking out for each other, this looking for each other. That's, I think, when we reach societal nirvana and probably hopelessly idealistic. I'd hope to see some of that in my lifetime. But what I will see in my lifetime is this often brutal, often confusing, often frightening disruption across uh, what we think is normal. And the answer to that has to be human. And of course it does. That's the point of a conversation, isn't it? Of course it does. It's, it's human. And, and that's what we need to be thinking tell about. Tell them right? two sugars. Tell them two sugars and, and, and just no milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm pulling up stumps here, Graham. I think we're done. I think we're done. I think we. I think. I think in three conversations, we've looked, oh, at, voice, you, we've looked at agency. We've looked at advocacy. We've looked at um, a broad oh. sweep of ideas. We've looked at a broad sweep of thinking. Uh, thank you for a rolling oh, conversation, my friend. Um, nurse, um, nurse, nurse. <laughs> for the for for our listeners out there, sometimes. As we, as we said in the first of these conversations, you've got to cut it off at the knees and you've just got to turn around and you've got to say, what is next? What is and what has been, but what is next? And to do that, we have to ask all of the questions. We have to consider all of the possibilities and we have to open our eyes up um, and think in and around and all of those, even if it's frightening, even if it's... Uh, especially if it's frightening. Yeah, especially if it's frightening because... If not us, then who else? Well, fear makes us do crazy things. That's the point. Fear makes us do crazy things. And we need to talk to each other. That's the point. It's like this whole left-right thing, this whole polarisation on social media, it's just crazy. I mean, that's not who we are. No, no. Well, that's that's the key word in it. It's the we bit, isn't it? It's how do we we become more fully we? How do we become more fully us in and around that? Graham Bramman, thank you so much for an amazing (laughs) conversation. You are certainly uh, a game changer. I'll give you that much. Um, who said it was a game? <laughs> I've loved the conversation. I can't Likewise, wait. Likewise, mate. Thank you very much. For, for the possibility so of more. We really appreciate your time uh, and we wish you well in, in carrying on the good fight. Thank you. I don't know it's past your bedtime. I've still got a glass of wine to finish. So um, we're going we're gonna to turn this off now. I'm going to have a glass of wine and you're going to finish your coffee. Thank you very much. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.